little different today. We're hoping to just spend a little bit more time later on in just in prayer and in worship. But as you see, we're we're continuing our series in the book of First Timothy. We're in the fifth chapter this week, and we're all really going to be focusing on the first two verses of of First Timothy five, and just seeing what God has for us there. Um, as you guys know, we've we've entitled this series "House Rules." And we've gotten it out of him. First Timothy 3.15, where, where Paul says that you may ought to, he's written this letter so that they ought to know how to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so we see all throughout, this, really this letter, that, that Paul has an emphasis on, on the family of God, on, on what it means to, to, to be with one another, to be in the household of God and to dwell. And he considers us, this this a family that those who who join together, who who join together in worship, who join together in prayer, that we are we are considered to be a part of the household of God. And so when we look at First Timothy five at the first two verses, we see some very strong familial language going on here. Where where Timoth- where where Paul writes and he says, "Do not rebuke an elder man, but encourage him as you would a father." Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. And so we see that, that Paul is Paul here, he's painting this picture that, that we're all we're members of this church, we're, we're members, we're, we've been adopted into the household of God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And that we should be treating one another, we should look at one another as, as family. And we see this, right? He puts an importance on family all throughout this letter, right? It's one of the things that when he goes over the qualifications for elders and deacons, you know, he he takes time to focus on the family. He says in 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5, he, speaking of elders, must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So for for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And we see that, that there's an importance placed on, on the family of God, that, that we are to look at one another, at those who we're sitting next to, those who we serve under, who we serve with, those who, who we lift our hands with. And we are to look at them as, as fathers, as our fathers, as our mothers, as our brothers, as our sisters. See, Paul tells Timothy here to treat the church like he would his own family, like, his, like he, would, he would his own flesh and blood. And we see this from really, you know, Jesus sets this precedent back all the way in Mark chapter 3, where, where, where he's, he's sitting with, with his followers, he's sitting with his disciples, and, and he's teaching them, and he's going through these lessons. And some of them come, and they say, your mother and your brother are outside, they're, they're looking for you, they're seeking for you. And, and Jesus looks out to his followers and to his disciples, and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And he says, here are my mothers, here are my brothers, here are my sisters. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So we look in this passage where, where Jesus looks out unto his followers. He looks out to his disciples and he says, you are my family. You are my brothers. You are my sisters. You are, are, are my mothers. So the question I'd ask is, if Jesus looks out to those who are following him, if he looks out to his disciples and he says, you are my family, how much more should we do the same when we look at, out into those who we're serving with? When we look, look into the bowls who are sitting next to us in these chairs and who we pray with and who we worship with and who we serve with, 
Should we not consider these our brothers, our mothers, our sisters, our fathers? And so I, I, I've entitled this message today, All in the Family, because we are to really look what I've gotten as I study this verse this week, is we are to look at one another, not, not as just people who, who we come to church with, but we are to look at them as, as family, that we're all a part of the household of God, that we all have the same spiritual father, that we've been adopted into this family, and we are to see one another as brothers and sisters, as, as fathers and mothers, so the question is, 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 what is Paul calling Timothy to here? In the first two verses, when he says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. What, what, what is Paul calling Timothy to? I believe that he's calling Timothy here to have honor and love, to love and have honor for those who, who he's serving over. Right? That, that he, are to look, he is to look at his congregation, look at those who he's been placed over, and see them as brothers and sisters, see them as mothers and fathers. See, Paul is calling Timothy here to, 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 to correct and exhort the church, to, to, to encourage the church. You see, the two, the two verbs here we see, do not rebuke and, and encourage. Right? These, these two verbs really have... Um, the two verbs here, they, they govern all the other objects in this sentence. They govern how Timothy is supposed to deal with older men, how Timothy is supposed to deal with younger men and older women and younger women. And he is to, 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 to rebuke them or confront them when it's necessary, and he is to, to encourage them, to comfort them at the same time. See, we look at, I look at this verse, and I see that, that, that Paul is calling Timothy into action. He's saying, look, you need to confront sin when, when, when it's necessary, when, when you need to. You need to confront sin. But it's not just about confronting sin. It's about, it's about confronting sin. It's about rebuking, but in the right way. That we don't just confront sin to, to confront sin. But we do it in a way that's going to be encouraging and uplifting. We do it in a way that the goal for, of us confronting our sin or confronting sins of other people is to bring them back before God. is to restore them to a relationship with God that, makes them, that gives them right standing before God. So if I was to say my main point today is, is that we are all, everyone sitting here today, we are all part of God's family. We're all related because we've been adopted into God's family. And, and because of that, we should be seeking to love and to honor one another. And at times, the way we love and the way we honor one another is by, by holding each other accountable. By confronting sin when necessary. By, by encouraging others to come before God and pray and confess their sins to God to see them restored. We don't like doing this because oftentimes when we talk about holding each other accountable, that means that we have to have some very difficult conversations. Some conversations that we may not want to have. It means a lot more than just coming here on a Sunday and just praying and just sitting down and listening to a sermon. But, but it means actually doing life with one another. We are, to, we are to look at one another as, as brothers and sisters, as fathers and mothers. And we should be holding each other accountable. To love and to honor someone 
is to confront them when it's necessary. When, when we see them going down the wrong path, when we see them struggling in a certain area, it's, it's to pull them aside and in a very loving and gentle way say, look, this, this is wrong. You need to come before God and you need to repent and we can do this together. So you notice... We, if I can make a quick note, this is necessary. We need to rebuke. We need to confront sin. We need to confess our sins. Because if we're not, then in essence what we're doing is we're hiding our sins. We're allowing people to just continue living their way, living in sin. And see, this is necessary. I believe that it's necessary for us to, to confront sin because we, we don't do enough confessing of our sins before God. Really, that if we are to see each other as family, we should be confessing our sins to one another. Oftentimes, a rebuke or a confronting of sin is necessary because we're not confessing our sins enough to God and to those who should be holding us accountable. We cannot begin to be restored to a God. We cannot begin to be restored to one another if we're not first and foremost confronting and facing our sin head on. If we continue to hide, if we continue to just let sin overtake our lives, we're going to continue to hide it. And then we're not going to continue to grow. We're not going to continue to get closer to God. We're not going to continue to be closer as a family that we're called to. See, James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See, he says, confess your sins so that you may be healed. We can't begin to be healed. We can't begin to be restored to God if we're not first confessing our sins to him and asking him to help us to to repent from our sins and turn to God. Ideally, this is how it would happen. We would would be in, in, in close community. We would have people around us who are to hold us accountable so that when we are struggling with sin, when we are going on in life, that we do have someone that we can go to that we're comfortable enough to confront and confess our sins to. See, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying you have to get up here every week and say, today I've sinned. I did this, or this week I was wrong, I did this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that that we should have people around us. We should have people who are holding us accountable, who we're willing and we're comfortable enough to go to and say, this week was hard. I I fell short. I I did this this week. You fill in the blank. I'm not saying we have to stand up and, and confess our sins to everyone. That's not healthy. What I am saying is that we should have people in our lives who are, who are there to help build us up, who are there to encourage us, who are there to, to see us grow closer to God. When we confess our sins and we have people around us, that is when we start to grow. That is when we get closer to God. I have a friend. I'm a part of, of, of a, group, a, a group chat with some guys from college and some really good friends. And we had a friend who... As long as I've known him, so it's been nine years now, he's always struggled with, with sexual sin. He's always struggled with, with, with pornography. And the other week he came to us in, in, in a group chat and he said, look guys, I, I've, I've been victorious for over a year, but I don't know what happened. My wife was gone with our kid and I just, 
I couldn't help it, and, and I fell short, and I've sinned, and I, was, and, and I started looking at pornography, and I went down this old rabbit, rabbit hole for a whole day. And, and he's confessing his sins to us. And we immediately, we, 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 we get on the phone, we, we surround him with prayer. We say, you know what, we're going to spend this next day. We're going to fast with you to, to defeat this. And, and we just started encouraging him and praying with him, saying, that's not your identity. You, you've done good. This is just a minor step back, but we have to take care of this. And so we, we surrounded him with prayer. And then one of the other guys, he went out and he bought a series. It's called the Conquer Series. And, and we've all decided that we're going to join around him. We're going to look at this series. And every Tuesday morning, we're going to get together on Google Hangout. And we're going to spend time praying. We're going to spend time going through this series together with him. And we're going to just to see him restored to God. See him his restored to his, to his relationship with his wife and his kid. And that's why it's important that we have people around us who, who are, are there to hold us accountable, who are there when we do fall short of God's glory, to lift us up, to help us get restored back with God. And we've all decided to do this, right? And we all keep track of Galatians 1 at the end where it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. This idea that, that we've surrounded him, but we also have this mindset that we know that, that, that if we're not active in our prayer life, if we're not active in holding each other one accountable, that could be any of us. Paul later on in 6.2, he says, bear one another's burden so you fulfill the law of Christ. We are to hold each other accountable. We are to bear the, the burden of others so that see them lifted up, to see them restored to God. Oftentimes, we don't confess our sins to another because of shame that we feel, because we don't think that other people are going through life the same way that we are, that people aren't having the same struggle that we are. Or sometimes we don't confess our sins because we, we truly don't believe that, that people don't care about us, that they don't want to see us restored, that they don't want to deal with our issues. That couldn't be further from the truth. You see... When you are able to confess your sins or, or when, when, when you're confronted with sin and you're able to say, yes, that's true, I have, I have done that. That is when the restoration process will begin. See, restoration, being restored to God, it, it cannot begin without first having confessed your sins to God. Either on your own accord or once you've been confronted. So, I'm not saying you just go to anyone. You don't go just to whoever you've seen in the church and say, I need you to hold me accountable. It should be done right. It should be done carefully. I would say ideally you go to someone who, who's mature in the faith, who's been walking with God for a long time. You don't want to go to someone who's young in the faith and say, I need you, I need you to hold me accountable. I'm going to bear all my sins to you, and I need you to hold me accountable. That won't work. You need to find someone who's mature. Someone who understands, who knows what it means to hold other people accountable. In my 15 years of, of walking with God, I've, I've been asked plenty of times to hold people accountable. And there's been times where I failed terribly because I, I didn't know what it meant. And over the past couple of years, you know, whenever someone does come up to me and say, I, 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 can you hold me accountable? One of the first questions I have for them is, what, do you, what does that mean to you? For, for me to, for someone to hold you accountable means you're going to allow them into the airs of your life. You're going to allow them to speak into your life. You're going to allow, to, you're going to be willing to hear what they have to say about you and about what you're doing in your life. See, this is why it's important. 
I believe, to be in Christian community. Why it's important for us to be in life groups. To be doing life on more than just Sundays, on more than just once or twice a week, but, but on, on a day-to-day basis, we should be doing life with other believers, those who, who, are, who we serve with, those who we pray with, those who, are, who, who we are under the same household with. Ideally, you would have your accountability partner would be the same person, someone who's in your life group, someone who you're going to see more than just once a week or twice a week. This is a, it's important for us to, to remember that, that we need to be held accountable to, to other people, to, that we need people in our lives speaking daily, checking up on us, on, us, on us, people who are willing to confront us, who are willing to call us out on our sin. This leads me to our first point. Family holds each other accountable. If, if we are to look at one another and we are to say, these are my brothers, these are my sisters, these, these are my fathers and mothers. These are people who, who we should be holding accountable to God, holding accountable to make sure they're walking down the narrow path, to make sure they're living a life that's, that's worthy of the calling that they've been called. See, Paul here, he's saying he's, he's calling Timothy to hold his congregation accountable. And at the same time, the congregation is being called to hold Timothy accountable. See, Paul is not saying do not rebuke at all. Because if you look 18, 19 verses down at, at verse 20, he tells them, he tells Timothy, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may resist, so, they may, so that rest may stand in fear. So, so Paul isn't saying do not rebuke at all. He's saying do it, do it the right way. It's not, the rebuking is not in question, it's the method that, that Paul is questioning here. It says, do not rebuke older man, but encourage him as you would, as you would a father, right? Or as the NSB says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as your father. This idea that, 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 that he's saying, don't just come to him in, in, a, in, a, in a disrespectful way. Don't just come sharply and saying, you are sinning. He's saying, do it in a manner that, that you know they're going to hear you out. He says, do as you would appeal to a father. You see, we, oftentimes when, when we're being corrected, we, we don't enjoy that. It doesn't matter who's doing the correcting. It doesn't matter if they're coming in the best way. It's hard to hear someone call us out on something that we're dealing with, on our sin. That's what John Calvin says in his commentary. Correction is a medicine which has always some bitterness and consequently is disagreeable. You can go to someone and say, you know what, I've noticed this in your life, and and I want to just say you need to be careful. I think this was a sin. And and they aren't going to immediately accept that. But that's why we have to tread lightly. That's why we don't just go and sharply rebuke them, as, as he says here. But we are called to hold each other accountable as the body of Christ, as the family of God. We are called to hold each other accountable. And when the church doesn't hold its members accountable or when its members does, doesn't hold its leaders accountable, that's when the church starts to, get, starts to get into trouble. When there's no accountability in the leaders, there's no accountability amongst its members. We, we look at, at, at the Mark Driscolls or at the James McDonald's of, of the day who, are, who, are, who had great ministries, but there was no accountability there. They weren't allowing themselves to be accountable to other elders. They weren't allowing themselves to be accountable to the members 
And over time, as their ministries grew, they eventually ended up falling from grace and are no longer serving because there was no accountability. All people, when we're in the body of Christ, we're a part of his family. Everyone should be accountable to everyone. The leaders should be accountable to the congregation. The congregation should be accountable to one another and to the leaders. There should be accountability in the church. The reason, I believe, the reason why why Paul says, do not rebuke them, but encourage them. Or as, as, as the NSB says, do not sharply rebuke, but appeal to them as father or as brothers or sisters or mothers is that the goal of of confronting sin, the goal of of, of rebuking other people, it's to see them restored to God. Or if you're the one who's been sinned against, it's to have that relationship restored back to what it was. You see, when he says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, it's this idea of... um, you do it with, with a respect for the person, right? We're, we're not going to go, if we, see our, if we know our fathers, and if we go and, and we see them sinning, we see that they've done something wrong, wrong we're not going to go to them and say, Dad, look, you're wrong here. You're in sin. That's not exactly how we would do it, right? We, we have enough respect for our fathers that, that if, we, if they are in sin, if they, if they did do something wrong, we're going to approach them different. We're going to say, God, we're going to say, Dad, you know what? The way you handled that situation last week, the way you were talking to mother or the way you were talking to this person, I don't think that was right. I think you need to think about what you said and how you said it and possibly go to them and ask for forgiveness and pray to God for that. There's a way of handling it. We are to respect one another when we, are, when we come to another and we're confronting sin. There's a respect that should be happening. See, the point of, of confronting sin is not to get some of your, feel, your feelings where it's not to get that off your chest. It's not to get your emotions or feelings off your chest. The point of confronting sin is to see that person restored to God, not for your own self-righteous reasons. It's to, it's to look at them and say, you, this is, you're going down a path. And you need to be careful, and you need to start praying to God, and I'll pray with you, and I'll fast with you. I'll do whatever I need to do with you, but but you need to come, and you need to repent of your sins. It's to see them restored to God, not not to see them. That's for you to feel good about yourself, or at least I'm not that person. If you're thinking about confronting someone, if you're thinking about about rebuking someone, and if it's for your own self-righteous reasons, if it's just because you're angry or, or your feelings or your emotions are hurt, I would hold off on it. I would sleep on it. I would take some time to pray and wait. Once again, because it's not about you. It's about the other person. It's about seeing them restored to God. You do this in a humble way as well. Right? That's, a, that's the idea of what I see as he says, a younger man as brothers, you, you would approach your brother humbly. Because the point, like I said, it's to see them restored. The point isn't just to be right. The point isn't to see them, you know, make fun of them or whatever it may be. The point is to see them restored to God. And you do that in a very humble way where you're not bragging, where you don't come across as, as, you, as you think you're better than them. You should be gentle in your rebuking, in your confronting of sins. 
You should be gentle when, when you hold other people accountable. Just like how we would, we would hold our mothers accountable, we approach them in a, in a gentle way. Not harsh. Not because we have motives, but because ultimately we want to see them restored to God. That's why, once again, in Galatians 6, 1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you are to, you who are spiritual, shall restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If we're going to restore other people, if we're going to bring them back to God, we have to hold them accountable in a way that's gentle, in a way that's going to actually lead them to repent of their sins. It's going to lead them to prayer before God. Not in a way that's going to push them further away from God, but a way that's going to push them towards God. See, we, we, we need to be holding each other one accountable because we all need to be growing closer to God, closer to the Lord, closer to God as, as, as a unit, as, as a family, as, as a church. Our goal should be to see that everyone here is growing closer to God on a day-to-day basis. And one of the ways that we make sure that happens is by holding, other, holding people accountable. When they're in the wrong, when they're, when they're sinning, or, or when they're doing things that aren't right, you should hold them accountable. Once again, this familial language here reminds me that, that family are, loves one another. My second point, that we, we hold each other accountable, that, 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 that we, we confront sin because ultimately we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? If we're going to treat the members of the church. We're going to treat those who are sitting next to us or behind us or in front of us as our fathers, as our mothers, or as our brothers and sisters. That means we have a love for them the way that we love our fathers, our mothers, our brothers, and our sisters. You should confront sin in, in, in a gentle and in a loving manner. John 13, 34 through 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, Jesus is saying that the way the world will, will know who my disciples are, will know who my followers is, is by the way that they love one another. It's not necessarily those who proclaim to know Christ. That's not how the world is going to know us. It's through our love for God. It's through our love for those who we serve with. It's for the love of our church. Right? We learned the other week that that people will fall away. So it's not through just a proclamation of we know, we believe in Christ, we believe in his atoning work. That's not just the way that people would know us. It's our love for one another. We've seen recently a pastor, Joshua Harris, just, just rebuked the faith. Turn from the faith after serving as pastor, after serving for a big time pastor in Maryland. He he just turned away from God. He got a divorce. He turned from his marriage, and now he's walking in the world. We should people should know us because of the love that we have for one another. That is what makes us recognizable. That's how people will identify us, is by our love for the church, our love for, for those who we serve with, those who we pray with, those who we hold hands with. See, to confront sin the way Paul is saying here, the way Paul is instructing Timothy to do so, it's to do it in a loving way. It's to encourage them. It's to appeal to them. It's to do it gently. It's to love them. 
That takes love. See, when, when, when we slow down, when we see someone who's, who's persisting in sin, and we, we know that they're wrong, and, and, and when we just take the time to say, you know what, let me just pray first. Before I approach them in my anger, before I approach them in my bitterness, let me just take time to pray first. How, and asking yourselves, how can I do this in the most edifying way? How can, I, how can I confront their sin in the most sanctifying way? That takes love. When you ask yourself, how can I show them the love of God? How, how can I show them the gospel in this time of their life? That takes, that takes love to, to slow down and to see people who, who are going down the wrong path and, and, and encourage them and confront them and, and steer them back towards God. That, that takes love. See, we, we are marked by our love for one another, by the love that Christ has for us. Love is the very reason that we're here. Right? Love is the reason that, that God sent Christ to die for our sins. It's the mercy and grace of God. That's what has us here. And it's that same love, it's that same mercy, that same grace that we should be sharing with one another. Ultimately, we should be loving one another the way that Christ has loved us, unconditionally and sacrificially. That is how we confront sin in a gentle and loving way. We, we hold each other accountable because we love one another. Because we want to see each other grow. We realize that our only hope is in God and God alone. And we realize that, that, that God loves us even on the worst of our days. In days where, where we don't deserve God's love, he still choose, he still loves us. And we are called to have that same love for, for those who, are, who, who we serve with, to those who are here with us. We're called to have that same love for the family of God. How do we conduct ourselves in the household of God? We love one another. We hold one another accountable. We want to see people restored to a loving faith, see them restored to their God. Lastly, Family forgives one another. We can't go and we can't confront sin unless we're willing to forgive those who, who are sinning. Unless we've, if, if we've been sinned against, we can't go and confront that person if we're not willing to forgive them first. In Colossians 3, 12-13, Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, if one has complained against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We have to confront sin, and at the same time, we have to be willing to forgive one another when we've been wronged against. See, our failure to forgive, our failure to forgive one another is our failure to see the gospel. It's our failure to live out the gospel on a day-to-day basis. If we can't forgive people, then, then we lost sight of, of, of the gospel, of what it means. See, the gospel is about Christ going on that cross, living the perfect life that we couldn't live, taking on the death that, that, that we deserve, that's our death rightfully. 
and saying, I will take this for you. It's our sins being forgiven that we've been redeemed to God because of what Christ has done on the cross. And if we can't remember that, if we're unable to forgive others, then we lost sight of the gospel. We lost sight of what Christ has done for us. We've been forgiven. Our sins have been forgiven because of the work of Christ on the cross. So we too should be willing to forgive one another. Sometimes I believe we, 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 um, we don't forgive because we have some, some misconceptions of what it means to forgive one another. See, forgiving other people, it's not, that's not you condoning their behavior. You're not saying, by, by, by choosing to forgive someone, you're not saying, you know what? What you did is okay. I'm all right with that. That's not what you're saying. Ultimately, you're just saying, I, I forgive you, but, but you still got to deal with God. You still got to pray to God, and God still, there's still consequences to our sins. So when you forgive someone, you're not condoning their behavior. You're forgiving them because that's what we're called to do. They still have to answer for God. See, forgetting, you know, forgiving other people, it's not forgetting what's happened. It's just, it's dealing with the emotions of, of the hurt that you've been with. And, and to move on, you have to forgive. But that doesn't mean you just forget. It doesn't mean that the next time they, they come, like if someone who's, who's known to be a, a thief, doesn't mean that you give them a key to your house. You just you forgive because that's what we're called to do. Forgiving sometimes doesn't necessarily mean that you're restoring trust to that person. Like I said, you're not going to go and give them the keys. You're not going to go give a thief after they forg- ask for forgiveness and after you've forgiven them. You're not going to go and give them a key to your house. But it's a part of the process that we need to do. See, and forgiveness, oftentimes, that's not a total restoration. It's a step towards restoration. But just because you've chosen to forgive someone doesn't mean that, you've, that, that, that that relationship has been totally restored with them. But you, that's what you're working towards. But oftentimes, forgiveness is that first step towards that restoration. You see... We are to forgive one another because that's what God has done for us. He's, he's forgiven of us of our sins. He's, he's replaced that. Our sins has been laid on the cross with Christ. We're called to forgive. If we're going to hold one another accountable, then we must, we must be able to forgive one another as well. Jesus in Matthew 6, 14, 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their, their, their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. We, we, we have to be willing to forgive. That's a part of the restoration process. As, as we're holding one another accountable, as we're pointing people towards God, when we're wronged against, we have to be willing to forgive them. If you confront someone on their sin, you should be ready to forgive them as well. It does no good to go and confront someone on their sin and then say, I'm not ready to forgive you, though. Colossians 1, 13, 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are to treat people the way that God has treated us. He's forgiven us, therefore we should forgive other people. We should hold each other accountable. We should bring each other to the cross, and we should forgive each other. And we're able to do this because of what Christ did on the cross. Part of of being a part of being a part a part of God's family is being truthful of one another. It's honoring one another. It's loving one another. It's wanting to see other people restored to God. You see, you cannot have confession of sins. You cannot you cannot hold each other accountable. You cannot forgive. You cannot ultimately love one another if you don't have the truth of the gospel running through your veins. If you don't have the truth that that's, that's what you're standing on. You're unable to do everything else if you don't stand on the truth of God. And that truth would lead us to loving one another. The truth of the gospel will lead us to forgiving one another. The truth of the gospel will lead us to, to holding each other one accountable because ultimately we want to see people who are restored to God. That is why we, we need to hold each other accountable. And it starts with, with the confronting of sins. It starts with the confessing of sins to, to, to one another, to God first. We have to be willing. We have to get into the practice of confessing our sins to God on a day-to-day basis. Taking time out to say, God, I know I've sinned today. I'm not perfect, but forgive me of this, Father God. You fill in the blank. If we don't start there first, we can't grow in our relationship with God. And ultimately, we can't grow as a church, as members, as a part of this household, as a part of God's family. We can't grow if we're first not willing to confess our sins to God and allow ourselves to be restored and allow ourselves to be held accountable according to the standards of God. Timothy, Paul here is telling Timothy, Hold one another accountable. Confront sin when, 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 when it's needed, when it's necessary, when it's time. Confront sin and do it in a way that ultimately it's going to restore people back to God. That's the goal. Does it always work out that way? No. But that should be our, our, our main focus when we talk about confronting sin. It should be to see the other person restored to God. We don't, we don't confront sin to serve our own pleasures. We do it because we want to serve God. We want to do what's right according to the book, according to the Bible, according to the standards that God has placed on his church. We hold each other accountable. We confess, we confront sins because we're all a part of the same family. We've all been adopted into the family of God. And just like we would our, 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 our family, our, our flesh and blood, we hold each other accountable. Without that, you cannot grow. Without that, there is no growth in the Christian life if we're not accountable to God or we're not accountable to one another. We're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to do something a little different this week. We're going to have Pastor Ralph come up, and he's going to lead us through a time of just silence. He's going to pray for us, and we're going to just spend a couple moments in silence so that we can spend time confessing to God. 
things, getting things off, getting, you know, asking God, repenting of anything that we need to be repentant of. And then we're going to spend some time focused on, on some worship that, that lead us to that point where, where we, we understand who God is and, and the love and grace and mercy that we have in him. So if you can just pray with me. Father God, we, we love you, God. We, we, we stand in awe of the fact that you are a loving, that you are a merciful, that you are a graceful God, that you've looked at our lives and you understand the dirt, you understand the garbage that we have. We've seen it all, but you've still, you've sent your son to die for those who you love, for, for the elect. Father God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you've given us a way that we're able to have this relationship with you, that we're able to, to come before you and, and, and put everything on the table and, and confront everything, Lord, and, and you bring us back to you, Father God. We pray, Lord, that that, that, we're, that we become a, a church body that's first and foremost concerned with, with, their, with their relationship with you, Lord, that we hold each other accountable that we lift each other up, that we restore one another to you, Father God. May we be a church that, that lives out your calling, that loves, that looks at its other members as, as brothers, as sisters, as fathers and mothers, Father God. Guide us, lead us to the cross, Father God. We thank you for all that you've done and yet to do. In your son's mighty and powerful name we pray, amen.